Everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. 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 This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And how's everybody doing out there? A very uh, action-packed week, uh, not only in the world of poker, but in, down here in South Florida. There's so much going on. Uh, the hurricane, thankfully, uh, well, it was a hurricane briefly. Now it's a tropical storm. Uh, veered uh, to the west of us, and, and we are not getting really any uh, impact on that. Uh, we may get a little rain tonight and tomorrow, but uh, went through the... Uh, Key West area, they're getting hammered pretty good and uh, headed toward Tampa, where I am from originally, the Tampa Bay area, and a lot of my friends uh, getting ready to uh, host that storm there. So I uh, wish everybody the best uh, throughout Florida. Uh, we do have a lot of friends in the poker world, Joe, in the Tampa area. So, uh, you know, we hope that uh, the poker rooms uh, survive without much of a problem. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. And uh, whatever is going on up there, I, I saw that the uh... – the, the baseball game with Tampa was definitely canceled, I guess, yeah. in preparation of making sure everybody stays at home and safe. So, Well, uh, they have an NHL finals game tomorrow there, and that may not come off. Uh, maybe right. postponed a day or two. We'll see what happens. Anyway, a uh, lot of action uh, throughout the state of Florida. Of course, down here we've been uh, uh, watching daily the sad story of the condo collapse in Surfside. And uh, I don't know, Joe, did any of your poker players uh, know people that uh, lived in that building or uh, suffered immensely from that? No, uh, Dave, not that I know of. No one has mentioned anything like that. But uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching the local station down here in Channel 7. Uh, The last couple of days they did a thing on one of the buildings down here that's actually in Broward, the one right next to uh, the Diplomat Sea Air Tower. Right. And how they have the similar garage issues. Well, <laughs> I owned a condo there about 11, 12 years ago. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I guarantee you people down here, uh, it, it, this is going to be a, a long-term problem for a lot of these buildings that are 30, 40, 50 years old. So, And I know that they have found a few more bodies, Dave. You know, yeah, I know. So heartbreaking it really is. It is, and, uh, you know, at least there's, you know, a little bit of closure, not saying it's, uh, you know, a a good or positive thing, but, uh, you know, at least to know that your uh, loved one was there and didn't make it through is, is, I guess, uh, you know, uh, does give you some closure. Uh, The saddest thing is just not knowing. Of course, now, two weeks in, it's uh, pretty unlikely that they'll find uh, anybody alive. But uh, uh, for a long time, there was a lot of hope that maybe someone would come out of there. And we've heard stories uh, around the world, uh, earthquakes and, and uh, you know, missiles hitting buildings and, and pulling people out uh, a week later, you know. So it's not impossible. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to make light of it, but I, I, I think that would be the way I would want to go. Uh, you know, it's sleeping in your bed and just, uh, you know, Having your building collapse is, is seems absolutely horrible, but there are a lot worse, worse other worse ways to die. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, the, the the real sad part, obviously, Dave, is uh, you know you, we've lost children and. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, and, people know, with a lot so, to live for, obviously, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, uh, if at, you're at the end of a nice, long, uh, happy life, uh, you, you may want to go that way, like you said, but uh, it's so damn sad. And like you said, you know, we could still hold out a little bit of hope. As you mentioned, some people have survived this, but uh, right now I think they just want to find the body so they yeah, can have absolutely. closure. So. Absolutely, and the storm coming through uh, really uh, hastened uh, – the decision to uh, bring down the rest of the building, which uh, I was thinking about the other day, and I, I don't know, Joe Costello, what you what you've lived down here in South Florida a long time, but just the fact that uh, you were put out of your home is one thing, but thinking that maybe at some point you would be able to go back and retrieve your belongings, but then finding out and realizing that was the right decision, but to just lose everything and watch the building come down, so heartbreaking. Oh, I, I think about. Uh just all the work, all the work, all the documents, all the things that the average person has to keep track of just to live, and all that stuff is gone, you know, your passports, uh, just everything. You can't go back into that building. I get it, but at the same time, boy, it's got to be a very frustrating uh, feeling. And, Joe, to your comment, you know, I think both of you guys know my father was in construction here in the South Florida area since the early 1970s in various forms. And so he and I have had several conversations about, you know, what's going on. And it's uh, it's sad to say this. And I think everybody knows. But this isn't the last one of these. There's there's no there's going to be more. And, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen in the middle of the night. Hopefully they can find all the buildings that need repairs. But think of that. You've purchased a condo. Joe, I don't know what it was back in the day. A hundred grand, two hundred grand, five hundred grand, whatever. You've made a purchase in a building and you're paying this monthly every month. And you think that that monthly is actually what you're paying for when the building has a problem, except it's not. Now you owe three hundred thousand more. Are people going to want to buy condos like I don't, I don't, all of a sudden the viability of condominiums is a question mark. Uh, to me, how long are they supposed to last? How long is a building supposed to last? All of these questions are all of a sudden up in the air. And it's a real crazy time for the real estate market that's been just through the ceiling, uh, through just taken off huge. And this has really put put a stop to that. I think people are thinking twice about what they want to do. Well, the houses, they buy houses instead of, you know, like that's the thing. You buy a house, you know what you got. Yeah. And let me tell you something, guys. I mean, I don't know how much you know about these condos, but, you know, my wife and I got very lucky. We bought our condo for 152 and. We were able to sell it probably about three, four months before the market crashed for more than double the, the price we paid for it. But shortly after we got it, okay, and this is part of what, some of the things that I believe happened here and what's happening in Sierra Towers, as I just mentioned, and in other condos, is, you know, I didn't know this. You buy, you buy your condo, you know, you have your taxes, you know what you got to pay your mortgage and everything else, right? And then, as you mentioned, Joe, the maintenance on each building, right, which can go up almost every year, okay? And I thought that went towards those repairs and stuff. Well, there was a fire that in the air conditioning unit uh, literally within two and a half to three months after we got there. And sure enough, we had no access to our condo for three months, even though we had to keep paying everything, right? And they hit us with an assessment of about fifty-four, $5,500. Now, that first assessment, they I don't know how they negotiated it, but they allowed us to make payments or you can make one-time pay. Then when they did the repairs on the outside and upgraded our balconies and painted the building, we got hit with a 6000 and change assessment probably within about a year, okay? 
and we weren't given an option. You had, you had X amount of time. Usually it was about a month from the time you got the notice, and you had to pay that, that money. You had to find a way, you know, to come up with that money, and if you didn't, the association immediately starts, uh, you know, proceedings to, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, to repossess your, your condo. And and you have no no other re- recourse. You either pay it or or they start process really quick to repossess it. And I don't know how many people knew that. I wasn't quite aware of that. You know, I don't know if it was in the paperwork that they make you sign and everything. And I just didn't pay attention to it. But you know, people save up all their lives to buy something like that. Figure the the the, the monetary you know uh, responsibilities. And you're not even thinking. You know that they were looking at a $15 million uh, uh, assessment to upgrade that one particular building. And if there's 100 units in there, you know, you're looking at $50,000 that you've yeah, got to come up with absolutely. right away. Absolutely. You know? And that's very difficult. You know, I know there's a lot of people that can afford it because they've, they've done well in their life. God bless them. But others don't have that kind of money, and it, it's a shame that you could actually lose – and that type of politics is what goes on for the upkeep on some of these condos, you know, because they, they fight the condo association on this. Well, this is a poker show, and people are wondering why we want to go on and on well, about well, this. But it, it, it does, it does affect, affect, affect us us personally. And uh, let's face it, since uh, since the pandemic, uh, we, we don't get together every week in person, so uh, we have our conversations. But uh, the thing I was going to mention was, you know, there's a huge snowball ripple effect here for the entire uh, – economy in South Florida, you got people that are being asked to leave their buildings. Uh, who knows if they're playing poker uh, normally and now cannot do that. That's uh, that's pretty crazy that that uh, everybody's being overly careful, as they probably should be, uh, to see things that have been ignored in the past uh, no longer as a leak or a crack, uh, you know, something to just look past. You have to really take it into consideration that maybe your building might be next. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's sad that, you know, we had to come to this realization uh, because of this tragedy. But, you know, hopefully it'll save lives in the future. You know what? I, yeah. I Can I jump in? Go I just ahead. want to say yeah, the sure. thing that I really like is I like seeing the mayor, the governor and the president all together work, right. working well, working together on a problem. Yes, it's a terrible tragedy. It's been a tragedy. Biden comes in, his and DeSantis sit right next to each other. And, you know, is it a, a love fest between the two of them? No, it's not necessarily a love fest, but there's a big problem here. This is a real problem, okay? And uh, they, they seem to put the politics aside, at least for the moment. The federal government's going to pick up the cost. They didn't have to do that. That's nice. Um, but that's what everybody should be. I always say the same thing. Everyone should be striving for that as opposed to the chaotic, horrible uh, stuff we've been used to over the last however many years where yeah. the person of the different party is your vicious enemy and you want to uh, make them fail no matter what. Like, well, here's one that you can't make each other fail because you're both in it at the same time. And uh, yeah, I like I like seeing them work together. Good point. Here's an interesting aside from my point of view on the whole uh, situation. Uh, about 30 years ago, uh, I lived in South Beach for, uh, I think, a little over a year, maybe two years, something like that. But uh, the building I rented from 
the owner of the building was Burkett Properties, and it was owned by uh, Charles Burkett's family. He was in his 20s at the time, but he was our uh, direct uh, link uh, supervisor to the ownership. And, uh, you know, we dealt with him some 30 years ago. So when I saw him, uh, you know, basically on TV almost every single day, it was uh, it was kind of strange because uh, he was just a kid, really, when I when we rented there before. But uh, a nice guy. And, uh, you know, I think he's done a pretty good job handling himself throughout this thing. But who knows, uh, you know, when the when the finger pointing and the blame starts coming out. Uh, there's a lot of people that uh, maybe look good at this moment that may not look so good six months from now. Well, Dave, you know, the the city gets, you know, I don't know how they go through this, but some of the stuff that you've been seeing on TV where, you know, somebody said it, it wasn't an, an imminent danger, and that report came out roughly a couple of months ago, and <laughs> obviously that wasn't the truth. Yeah. You know, and... Um, Again, a lot of finger blaming, a lot of finger pointing is going to happen now. But, Joe, to your comment, that's the one great thing that our country has always done. When there's been a tragedy of, of this sort and, and even larger, as we know, with 9-11 in Oklahoma, you know, somehow we, we put politics aside for a while and, uh, you know, we become one in this country. And that's always been a great thing, you know, regardless of which party you're on. Yeah, for Everything sure. but the pandemic. Yep. Yes, exactly. exactly. That's the one well, that's still totally politicized till right now. Well, let's uh, let's move on uh, to uh, basically the poker world here, and let's talk a little bit about South Florida because uh, we're still waiting on a Department of the Interior uh, decision to uh, move on with this uh, Seminole Compact and, and find out what the actual effects are going to be on the rooms here in South Florida. Uh, Joe, you said uh, you heard some conversations that – some things are uh, opening up, and, and it could lead to some increased hours for a lot of these rooms down here. Right. I wasn't aware of this, but I was made aware of it at, uh, at our meeting, manager's meeting earlier this week, where, um, you know, the DOI approves the pact, and decoupling becomes, you know, as soon as they approve it, decoupling becomes, you know, uh, in effect. And if they don't, then decoupling doesn't come into effect, but if it does... That allows the casinos to now open 24-7. And, uh, you know, that, that's a big game changer, especially for, for, you know, the paramutuals down here that have the machines in, in, in Miami-Dade and Broward. So um, I, I had no idea. I don't know if you knew that, Dave, or Joe. I did not. But, uh, no, I did not. That, that's, a, that's a big, big, uh, big thing, you know, well, uh, for revenue services and everything else and for employment issues. To, to be honest with Absolutely. you, because you're going to need a bigger yeah. staff to be able to be open those extra, you know, what is it, uh, 30 hours a week well, and how well, you plan Let it. me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh, obviously, casino gambling, there's a benefit to that. you got machines. You might have a few slot attendants or, or people that you may have to put on. What is the viability of being open 24 hours in a poker room down here in South Florida? Well, let me tell you something, Dave. Uh, my room, and I don't believe there's any other rooms down here that are open, you know, all 24 hours on the weekend, uh, which was the case since ever since the machines came in. You were allowed to open 24 hours starting on Friday. And coincidentally, as this past weekend, you know, the 4th of July, you know, the, the legal holiday was celebrated on Monday that day also goes into it. So on this past weekend, 
rooms down here opened at, uh, you know, 9 or 10, whatever their opening time is, and didn't have to close until Tuesday morning at 4 o'clock or 3, depending on their time. And now that it opens it up, you know, my room was open at, you know, back, you know, when I first opened this room, and we did really good business. I don't at, at 3 or today, 4 in the morning? Oh, my goodness, Dave, at 6 in the morning, I'd, I'd have four or five tables running. No kidding, you know? no kidding. Yes, sir, yes, sir. On, on a Saturday morning, you'd go in there, and even on a Sunday, when I started running a $10,000 guaranteed tournament, you know, it was so nice because it, it increased my, my morning table usage, you know, by at least a table or two, and my tournaments would always start at about 1 o'clock, if, if I remember correctly, and... I'd have eight, nine, you know, on a Sunday, nine tables, ten tables running live. Yes, I'd lose five, six, seven of them, you know, keep two or three live. But as the game, you know, as people got knocked out of the tournament and didn't want to reenter, you know, those tables build up again. And, you know, we did very, very decent revenue. It was worth it for us to keep those rooms open, you know, and, um, I don't believe there's anybody now doing that in, in 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 our you know competitors here. I'm not sure about Broward. You'd have to let me know about Broward. I don't think so. You know, but but yeah, you know, we definitely it was well worth it. You know, uh, like I said, at six seven in the morning, every now and then I'd go in just to see how everything was running in the room, and again, four or five tables running at six between six and seven in the morning. I'd ask, and the dealers that I had to schedule, you know. On the weekends that would come in either 10 to 6 or 12 to 8 in the morning, we're making money. <laughs> yeah. We're making money. So, you know, the action was, was still solid. You know, you, most of these rooms, Dave, like I said, when I was running that room, you'd have crazy action starting Friday night, and the big games sometimes ran till 4, 5, 6 in the morning. You know, they wouldn't be there at 7 in the morning. I guess they kind of petered out most of the times. But still, you had them there for a good nine, ten hours because most of them started, you know, some of the big games started at 7, 8 o'clock at night, and, and some of them even started earlier than that and would run till 3, 4, 5 in the morning. So Right, right. Well, I can see with a good game with some fun players and, uh, you know, maybe some opportunities to make some big money that you could play late into the morning. But from what I've seen in the couple of weeks of working at a poker room now, uh, I think you would have to give away like a $3,000 high end for, uh, from 2 to 4 in the morning to get people to be there that late. Well, see, there's the thing, Dave. We gave away the least amount of money in those times because the players that were playing at that time were actually, you know, one, two, two, five players, people who weren't there for the high hand. Right. Much like when I used to play, you know, if if I hit a high hand, which was, you know, rare, it was an added bonus. But I was there to take the money from the other players as they were there to take my money. And, uh, you know, that, that's how poker is, is supposed to be played. The high hand is more of an attraction to get your, you know, the lower limit players into your room and then build from there, have, have them jump into the bigger games with the excitement, which definitely happens, you know. But right. your two five strong players, Dave, trust me, they don't go into a room because, you know, there's a high, big hand, unless you do something like I did a month and a half after I opened up the room where we did a $2,000 an hour high hand for 12 hours. And at that time, that was just something unheard of. The biggest anybody had done here was $1,000 an hour, and, and I doubled that and uh, increased my normal high hand productions 
prior to the start of that, it was from noon to midnight, and I had a packed room by 10.30 in the morning. And and that particular morning, Dave, you were asking, I went into the room at about 8 in the morning, and out of 24 tables, I had 17 running, and I was waiting for dealers to open up 18, 19, and 20. So right, right. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. I think a big problem now that people may not realize, uh, the, you know, they come in and they see – uh, you know, uh, several full tables, there's no spots open, and there may be five or six people on a list, and why aren't you opening a new table? But uh, this is a struggle right now for poker room managers is to have the staff to deal these games. Absolutely, and it's not just down here. It's all around the country from what I'm reading on posts from, you know, different, uh, you know, um, social media places. Um, I don't know if the dealers just, went on to it something different um and it surprised me dave because we know that there you know a lot of rooms either closed or at some states still didn't reopen them and i thought there'd be an abundance of dealers but i know that as we've mentioned on the show texas uh opened up uh you know poker in, in social clubs there whatever they call it and uh making great money these dealers are making great money over there as the case is usually in new places where they don't have legalized poker and then all of a sudden it comes in and the places go crazy and we lost a good 50 60 70 dealers between west palm broward and, and dade county and here's the other big problem the the schools that were open had to close for the pandemic and none of right. them have reopened right so you're not producing new dealers <laughs> Well, there's always a little bit of drag time, but uh, eventually people are going to realize that there's nice money to be made out there, uh, whether you are uh, inclined to be a dealer, uh, if you have the personality or the stamina or, or whatever to, to do that job, uh, there is some money to be made. Um, at working for the first couple of weeks here now as a chip runner at the Dania Room, uh, brush and chip runner. Uh, but uh, there is, you know, I, I'm pleasantly surprised with the tip money that comes in for me, uh, in addition to a, uh, you know, a rather modest salary. But uh, at the end of the week, when the when the check comes, it's uh, I'm pretty pleased with it. So there's money to be made for people that are serving the poker community. And, uh, you know, as people more and more people start to get back to playing live, I think uh, they're going to realize that this might be uh, a career. It definitely could be a great career, but and I'm going to put a, an aside to that, what you just mentioned there. Yes, you know, uh, but you do have to have a little bit of thick skin. You right. know, you can't be easily offended by, you know, idiotic remarks, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, especially when it involves female dealers, you know, some of the guys step over the line with sexual comments and shit like that. But, you know, as, as, in my room and in every single room I've ever been at, once the limits went up, you know, there are, I hate to say this because I don't think this way, but there are so many people that are so miserable. They they either have a gambling problem, can't handle losing, and the easy target, obviously, on a table is always the dealer. You know, they start, and if that offends you, you know, if they're like going, man, you're a terrible dealer, you're, you know, you suck, I can't win with you, 
you know, it, it sucks to hear those comments because other people don't hear that in general in other in other jobs. Right. But uh, as long as they're not cursing you out, you know, using foul language directed at you, you know, you kind of have to have a little bit of a thick skin. And what I have started to notice over the last few years, Dave, is dealers are 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 less. Um, accepting of that you know it's bothering them a hell of a lot more even though they are making unbelievable money and i've had to tell dealers you know oh this guy and i go listen this guy is a cupcake i go this is the guy i'd invite to my kid's birthday party compared to some of the people that i had to deal with (laughs) and other experienced dealers you know because that was it either you learned to put up with that and or you found another profession and it's pretty hard you know if you're making $1,500 or more a week, you know, and there, you know, you have dealers. I had female dealers in my room that were making for 30 hours of work of actual clocked in time, 22 to 23 hours table time, making 24, 26, $2,700 a week, plus their hourly wage. You know, professionals don't make, a lot of professionals don't come close to making that kind of money. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, absolutely. You, you have to have a, a thick skin and you have to have a the right mind frame, in my opinion. And so far, I've been watching way too many dealers n- not be able to handle that the proper way as they used to in the past. Well, I've learned a lot about dealers in the first two weeks working there. And uh, there is a certain amount of training that goes into my job. Uh, but, you know, you can't cover everything. And a lot of it's just learning on the job training, you know, uh, picking up things here and there. I can remember one of the first run ins I had with a uh, customer was, um, you know, uh, they, he bought into a uh, a uh, a two four game. No, it was a one two game and uh, handed me one hundred dollars. And I just asked him, I said, what kind of breakdown do you want for the chips? And he looked at me and he's like, this is a one two game like I should know that he wanted all $5 chips. Exactly. And, and, and explain, explain they, the reason that behind the truth. that. Explain the, the truth. reason behind that. Yeah, well, because in 2-4, you play with dollar chips. In 1-2, the, the, you want to have five. They may tell you, give me 90 in red and, and 10 in, in white, but the dealer can make that change on the table. So any game that's not 2-4, if I got a $100 bill, I'm asking them, all red, and, you know, some one-two games, the buy-in is only 50. You know, you, you have to be aware of what your buy-in is on the certain tables. Correct. Other one-two games, the buy-in is 100 or 200. You, you know, so a good brush is aware of this, and then you ask them all red, and some people will say, oh, no, you know, bring me bring me in my room. I don't know what the $2 chips there. I forgot what they are in Dania. Ours are but, purple. purple. Okay, just like ours. So some of them will tell you, bring me 20 in purple, you know, and – that's part of your job, same as knowing what a dealer needs. And, yeah. and, and the better you service them, Dave, uh, the more tips you're going to get because you'll make their life easier. They don't lose hands. You know, um, I've tried to educate my brushes here, and I've only got one that's really outstanding. The other two, after two years, they're so concerned about paying a high hand and getting tipped that they're not doing what their job duties entail. And they make so many mistakes because you've got half-hour pushes there. Every room down here, I believe, has a half-hour push. Dealers come in on on the hour and on the half-hour. So if they've got to count that bank down, the dealer sitting down sometimes in an action game forgets to try to, you know, 
leave chips for the dealers. The worst thing that dealers hate is you come into a game and your bank is completely bare. All you have is whatever the dollar amount is and bills there because the other dealer is too lazy or incompetent to be able to fill your bank. Right. So as a good dealer, I mean, as a good brush, excuse me, if you know that some of these dealers are absent-minded about it, whether it's intentional or not, hey, you come by with about 10 minutes to go before the push and say, hey, I'm going to bring you 100 in white. Let's say it's a 2-4 game. I'm going to bring you 100 in white and, and, and 120 in purple. And they're, oh, thank you, you know, because you're, you know, you're helping them. Yeah. And this way you're also not stopping the game at the crucial time when high hands are expiring. Well, One of the things that players oh, hate yeah, exactly. is for Phil to come in, right, with two or three minutes left before the high hand. To slow the game down, yeah, and that's the other thing too. Is it was explained to me, uh, it don't even they were, it was like don't even ask them, just bring them all red. Uh, anything else just slows the game down. It does. They'll usually tell you, Dave. They'll usually tell you. You know, if they give me in a one-two or two-five game, they give me three hundred. The only time I'll ask them in a two-five game or in the bigger games, because I know you have some of them there, you can ask them, do you want greens or black? You know, that, right. that's the question that you're going right. to ask them, you know. And if the game is full of greens, more than likely you're just going to bring greens. I don't mind asking them real quick, all greens, because some of these people like to have some reds there for whatever reason, you know. Right. Right. And uh, one-two game, always red unless told otherwise by the player. Well, I can tell you the one thing after two weeks that uh, I should lose some weight. Uh, I looked at my phone a couple of couple of times at the end of the day, and I did like fifteen thousand steps, which is which is more than I ever do normally. So, uh, you know, even when I was out walking two and a half, three miles, so uh, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of work, and uh, you know, it's uh, something I'm well, still getting used to. But your tips, as you mentioned a little while ago, are getting better yeah. and better. I would imagine every day, the better you get at your job the more tip money you're going to get. And the better you handle customers too, Dave, let me tell you something. Somebody has a big day as they're walking out, they go, hey, thanks for everything, boom. And they, you know, they'll drop you something on the, on the brush desk as, as they're leaving. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a quick story. I've, I've found a guy that, uh, you know, he goes, uh, did somebody ever tell you you look like John Wayne? And I go, <laughs> I go, no, no, but John Candy. And then I, I did my John Candy impression for him, and he laughed so hard that he ended up giving me a, a, a real nice tip. And, and every time I see him now, he goes, make me laugh, buddy. And I do my John, <laughs> I do my John Candy for him. <laughs> and, and Big Dave, believe it or not, that is the big thing. And you're going to run into people that you try to do something with, and they're going to look at you like you're you know, from another planet. You no, know? Exactly. These are people that are just not there. And I'm going to give you another tip. When we opened up in 2013, our brushes make their large majority of tips as we allow them to pay the high hand and hoping that, you know, the player tips them, right? Um, but back then, they didn't do that. I used to have my dealers, if they were off, pay it or my supervisor. So, But the brushes made great money because of how they handled the room with the dealers, with the customers. And I'll tell you what, Dave, if that room grows for you and they get bigger people, Sometimes they're chasing, as you well know. You know, there's right, certain right. really bad players that have deep pockets, and the good players want to chase them. And it, these girls were so good at having their numbers and informing them, hey, listen, I just got a call from so-and-so. He's going to be coming into the game. And they're like, thanks, Dave. And if those guys have a great night against these people, I guarantee you, you're going to be taken very well care of, you know. Yeah, but yeah. that's part of the extra duties that brushes do that go above and beyond their call 
to keep the room running, to keep the customers happy, and to keep the dealers happy. Uh, I'm having fun with it. Uh, I don't know if it's the same for you over your years, but have you felt like, as opposed to when you were a dealer or maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, it seems like being a floor manager or a um, uh, management person running the room, uh, people don't like to tip you all that much for that. No, some of the some of the players uh, uh, that hit but a big you, hand and you know how to treat them the right way will come up to you when they hit a big high hand and sometimes throw you twenty, fifty. We've gotten tipped a hundred dollars, um, you know. Um, so you 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 don't get it obviously as a floor person very often. And back then, when I was a manager back then, making very good money and earning bonus money every month, whatever I got tipped, I always gave it to the supervisors. You know, I never kept oh, okay. it. Okay. It's not the case now because it's not the same financially, yeah. you understand? But, you know, it, the, the, if a supervisor knows how to run his room really well, um, you know, dealers sometimes will, if they're having a great day, will put a tip aside. They won't put it in their tip box. They'll give some of that to the brush because, you know, they're filling them up and giving them the money for that, you know, 2 $3. And if they have a big tip from a big hit on somebody, whether it's the DP tables in my room now or a big high hand promotion and they're the ones who dealt it, sometimes they'll, you know, they'll leave you two green chips to be split amongst the supervisors in our room. I don't know how it goes in other rooms. At Dania, we used to tip out the dealers at the end of the night. Some of them would give, you know, would leave you four, five, six dollars. So, you know, that was a little extra money that you got, even though they're being taxed on that to begin with. So, but of course, you always, as a as a manager or even a floor person, uh, you need to treat people fairly and not uh, lean to one over another. So that's always in the back of your mind, I'm sure. Absolutely, you know, you got to protect your dealers without making it look like you know you're picking on the customers, you know. And um, you know, I'm not. That's not to say that dealers don't make mistakes and that you have to, you know, speak to them and apologize to the customers. But you, you, there's a fine line in the way that you handle that with both your employee, meaning your dealer, and me as a manager, even the supervisor, if they've made a bad call or done something that's, you know, agitated a customer, and also how you speak to these customers. You know, you've got an upset person. all depends on how they approach you, and, you know, eventually, if you do it right, eight out of ten people will eventually calm down and say, hey, thank you yeah. for doing that. Thank yeah. you for looking out for me. I'm sorry I got this way. And like I said, the other 20%, you could bend over backwards for them, and it doesn't matter what you do or say. They're going to be upset regardless. So yeah. you learn that as you go on. Yeah, there's there's a certain art to calming people down, and I, I know you've been very good at that over the years. <laughs> one of my specialties. Uh, let's take a break here on the show. Uh, a few uh, poker results to talk about, including the WSOP online series, which is now underway, 33 tournaments. I think uh, they're playing uh, tournament six or something today, six or seven. Uh, we'll give you some of the early results on those. Also, a couple of things I want to talk about, and if we get to it, uh, I want to talk a little bit about an article I read about uh, women uh, having facing adversity at the table. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Joe has some uh, stuff going on in his room. We'll let him uh, uh, let you know what's happening at the Casino Miami when we get back. And also a very interesting situation we read in our favorite uh, Facebook uh, group page about uh, something Joe had never encountered before and didn't really even know the answer to until today. So uh, we'll get to all that stuff when we return. Poker Action Line, pick us up on SoundCloud or on uh, Spotify, all these great places where you get your podcasts. 
would really help us out if you rate the show, uh, subscribe to the show. And if you want to send us an email, you can always reach me at lemondave at yahoo.com. And uh, we'd be happy to talk about maybe some of your questions on the show. Uh, we'll be back with more of the show when we return here on Poker Action Line. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available later this year. From the vantage point, Mafatu saw six war canoes drawn upon the beach, but what held the boy's eyes in awful trance were the figures springing and leaping about the flames, darting, shifting, bounding toward the sky, the eaters of men. Cannibals. Firelight glistened on their royal bodies, on flashing spears and bristling decorations. Mafatu watched the strange scene, powerless to move, and he felt doom itself breathing chill upon his neck. In that very instant, he heard a crashing in the undergrowth. Four figures were tearing toward him through the jungle. He could see them now. He turned and ran blindly down the trail, slipping, sliding, stumbling, his breath all but choking in his throat. Only one thought gave him courage as he ran, his canoe ready and waiting. If only he could reach it before the savages overtook him. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Call It Courage by Armstrong Sperry. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Yard Council. And welcome back to Poker Action Line. Big Dave and Joe talking poker and a few other things uh, as well. Um... Of course, the uh, whole gambling world uh, making a pretty uh, solid recovery here with with uh, the pandemic kind of going by the wayside somewhat. It's not over yet, but uh, uh, let's say that things are getting a little bit back to normal. And uh, Nevada casinos, uh, they announced uh, this week, set a record for revenue in May with winnings of $1.2 billion. Uh, Nevada casinos, and that's not just poker. That's obviously everything. But uh, they beat October of 2017's record 
of 1.7 billion in gross gaming revenue. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's unbelievable how everything seems to be coming back. Poker rooms are pretty much back open everywhere. Uh, there are, uh, you know, some mask of requirements, some places here and there still, but most of that is gone. And, uh, you know, people seem to, uh, be back out and about, uh, from what you've seen, Joe, uh, you must not be surprised at that. Surprised. I was expecting that to be honest with you because of what's happened down here. As far as, as far as our numbers are concerned, every, just about every single month is beating, you know, is setting a new record. You know, and uh, this past weekend was no different. You know, down here, it's just been phenomenal. And as you mentioned with the mask, I believe down here, we're the last casino that has, you know, uh, I'm off from work today, but I believe uh, we're the last ones that are requiring masks, which may change, may or may not change by the end of this week, uh, the end of this week, maybe Friday or Saturday. But, um, you know, it. People want to get out there, Dave. You know, people want to get out there. They want to resume their, their, you know, their normal lives as much as possible. And uh, the casino industry is seeing some unbelievable numbers, at least down here. And now that you mentioned, uh, I was told that they had great numbers in in, uh, in Vegas uh, on our end there. And uh, so it's no surprise. It, you know, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it, it's a great it's a great thing to see that, and I'm sure that's going to benefit poker big time. Yeah, well, you know, the heart and soul, obviously, of the poker room is the cash games. But, uh, you know, uh, tournaments are an important uh, aspect of that bring people in. Uh, they play cash games before the tournament start. They get knocked out of the tournament. They play cash games after. And it brings a lot of attention to the room uh, publicity-wise. Uh, so far, Dania, which has always been known as a pretty good uh, tournament room, has not resumed tournaments yet. But they hope to do it maybe later this month. Uh, Joe, you've been running a few tournaments here and there, and I'm sure uh, there's difficulty staffing some of those things. Talk about uh, how it's difficult to put something together because people say, well, I'll just run a tournament every week. Who cares? But you need a lot of dealers, uh, some of whom will have to go home early. Uh, tell the, uh, the people what you think about your tournaments and what you got coming up. Well, let me get to the good part of that. I mean, we've uh, we've been running a five thousand dollar guarantee with twenty five hundred uh, going to first place. We've decided to help it this this month. Uh, our tournament is going to be on July eighteenth, Sunday, July eighteenth at one o'clock, with a seventy five hundred dollar guarantee and a four thousand dollar guarantee for first place. The buy in went from sixty to seventy five, and the rebuys to sixty five if they're done at the table, and uh, you know. Not a big jump there for the extra $2,500 that we're going to be guaranteeing. Uh, the final table gets guaranteed. We're still at seven players per table. So the final table, you know, for us is seven players uh, at the current time. And um, we'll also, we hadn't been running much uh, Sunday promotions, uh, you know, based on the size of our room. And uh, starting this Sunday, we will be running... Uh, you know, uh, a high-hand promotion on Sundays when we open the room at 10 o'clock from 10 to 11, giving away $1,000 to, you know, between the top three players, broken up at 5, 3, and 2, and then from 11 to 1230, $1,500, which is broken up for the top three, 8, 4, and 3. And we're hoping that leads us into having some p extra people there for the 18th and, uh, you know, getting even a, a larger entry into, into our tournament. Now, you made a great point, Dave. Um, I, like I said earlier in the show, I used to run 
a, a tournament every single Sunday, $10,000 guarantee. I, I never missed my guarantee. Um, and, but I was fully staffed. I mean, you know, when I felt that I was understaffed, I had 82, 83 dealers. Right now, my room is running with uh, probably a bare minimum of dealers, uh, not for lack of trying to hire, but just not out there, as we mentioned earlier. And it tax, you know, it puts taxing on some of these dealers because when you do have big promotions, and I'm going to have a, a, a really big one this coming Saturday, which we're giving, guaranteeing $10,000 in uh, high hands from starting at 10 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night. Um, you know, if we do that the following Saturday, you know, I've got to use practically my whole staff on Saturday to cover those hours, and then they got to come back again on Sunday for the tournament. So when you're short-staffed, you know, just covering normal hours during the week, it becomes very difficult, you know, and uh, you, you burn them out. I understand that, you, you know, they're, they're sitting down. Sometimes they're going six, seven downs without a break, you know, when your room is at capacity. And uh, it gets tiresome, you know, when you're, when you're dealing three, three and a half hours, you know, going from table to table without getting a half-hour break, uh, some of them will tell you in between break, hey, listen, I really got to run to the bathroom. That's when myself or one of the other supervisors jumps in there for, you know, five or ten minutes. And believe it or not, sometimes it gets to the point where we're so full there is no other dealer to break. So one of the supervisors has to sit in there and break. Right, and right. once it goes this long, then the supervisor actually has to take the, the whole shift so that so that whoever's been there the longest can at least get a break to grab something to eat, to just, just, just to rest themselves. There's a reason why casinos, uh, personnel outside of poker do uh, an hour on and 20 minutes off they, in, in craps, roulette, blackjack, your, your pushes are 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, and then a break for 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, because you want fresh people out there. You, you make less mistakes and you, you get more hands out. So it obviously it's a, double-edged sword for both sides where if you get more hands out if you're fresher you're going to make more money in tips and the house is going to make more money yeah i'll tell you a funny comment uh you know there's obviously for me some some downtime here and there and have conversations with different people in the room whether it's a dealer or a supervisor or a manager and and i asked one person uh i was purely curious is is to say you know, and obviously the, their job is, like I said, to be fair to everybody, uh, which is sometimes not so easy. But uh, the uh, interesting question I had, I felt was interesting, was who's your favorite in the room? Who's your favorite dealer? And he said, you know, I, I never really thought about it. I love them all and I hate them all. <laughs> which well, I thought was very, very insightful. That, that's a very political answer there, yeah. you know. Uh, as a manager, you obviously don't want to show favoritism to someone or be, you know, constantly critical of other dealers. But that being said, as it is in the real world, some employees are better than others. Right. And the top-notch dealers not only run their game better, but they make your life a lot easier because obviously if you're a top-notch dealer, you're going to be making less mistakes. And where mistakes are made is where the supervisor has to come in. And anytime you're called to a table, Dave, I tell every dealer, as soon as you make a mistake and I got to make a decision, I guarantee you I'm pissing off at least one person, if not right. more. 
right. you know, right. and that's what you try to avoid, you know, because of dealer error. We're all human. Every single dealer I've ever met at one time or another has made a mistake. As you get better at, at your craft, you make less and less mistakes. And the more you know how your table runs and your players, because at least down here, unlike in Vegas where you have so many tourists, so you're, you're getting a, a turnover of, of players, you know, down here it's the locals. I'm sure you're seeing the same, same you know, 80, people every 80% day. of the people. It's the every same people, day. Right? Yep, every exactly. day. Exactly. And that's true at every casino down here outside of a huge promotion or a big tournament. You know, if it's in your room, then you'll see different people in your room. But for the most part, you're dealing with the same people. So, you're, you know, your job as a manager, as a supervisor, you as a brush, is to make them feel welcome, make them feel like, you know, like, like they matter. And that's one of the things I've always tried to teach my people. Everyone has a different style of personalities. I'm obviously a lot more open. You just told us about a nice joke that you did with the guy. You know, some of those things go such a long way when you do that because they feel like you really care about them. And I, I truly do. And so you have favorite customers. You have favorite dealers, not that you're going to tell anybody on the floor, you know, but right. you smile when you know that they're there <laughs> and, and they actually make your room run even, even better because if the room is running real busy, Dave, and a really good dealer, a really good dealer is there and sees that there's a situation that the supervisor can't handle, you'll see a top-notch dealer jump in there and try yeah. to resolve it until a supervisor can get there. And yeah, you can't absolutely. imagine how much help that is. Yeah, and it's uh, the dealers, face it, part of the big part of the draw of your room, no question about it. Do you ever get uh, uh, surprised by the fact that so many people are there every day, uh, whether it's their personal life, what they – you know, the kind of things they like to do, or maybe they have nothing better to do, or what What? What are your thoughts about some of those people? Because I felt myself the first few days kind of being a little judgmental and go, God, I got nothing better to do than to show up at nine o'clock every single day. I mean, it's pretty crazy, but uh, people are passionate about the game. And let me tell you, Dave, I definitely had those questions in my mind many years ago. And I used to tell people when I opened this room back in 2013, it would be the same 36 to 45 people practically every single day rushing through the doors to be there, at, you know, to grab their favorite table, favorite seat. And I'm going, these guys don't have jobs. And then what you see is the bigger limit players come in a little bit later, at, at least in my room at that time. And it's the same general group of people. So some of them, this is uh, how they try to supplement their income. Others are actually trying to make a living off of this. And I got to a point where, listen, I'm not going to ask how they're getting this kind of money, why they're able to be there all this time. I don't know what their family situation is, you know. But, uh, you know, private games down here that ran once or twice a week that I dealt at, it was the same general people. You know, the, the person who ran the, 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 the game tried to have 15 to 20, 25 people that he could call from. But usually it was the same seven or eight people out of 10 or 12 that would show up for the private game. And it seems to be the norm in, in poker, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah. it's funny also because you're not running tournaments now, but here's the funny part. When I'm running my tournaments, I only have maybe four or five of my regular players playing in this. And I got people that I haven't seen before. They come, they play the tournament. They haven't been staying for, for, for the live games, but then I'll see them again a month later when I'm running my next tournament. So these are tournament regulars that go jump from place to place where there's a tournament. Right, so right, right. <laughs> that's, 
that's the niche in the poker is, world for these people. Which is why it's important to run those tournaments, even though uh, you know the implementation of the tournament may be a little difficult at times. It is, but if you don't run the tournament again, if you don't run the tournament properly, you're going to have these people there just once. You don't get too much of a second chance if you really screw it up. You know, if you've run a tournament really well for six or seven times and then you're short a couple of dealers, they'll 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 give you they'll give you one mulligan or two at the most. But if you can't correct that problem, then they're gonna they're not gonna come to your tournament either. So, uh, you know, uh, it's what have you done for me lately, and how well are you running your tournament now when it comes to tournament players? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're we're winding the show down. We still have a few more minutes left, but uh, I did want to touch on some results because last week we were in that huge tournament uh, that was being played at the Win, uh, the Win Millions. They uh, were down, I think maybe about ten or twelve players, something like that, when we were on the show last week. Uh, Thirteen hundred and twenty-eight entries. It was a ten thousand dollar buy-in event, and I kind of likened it to that uh, huge uh, seminal Hard Rock Poker Open few years ago that uh, had a $12 million prize pool. Well, this was fairly similar. Uh, they had a huge, ended up having a huge prize pool. And the winner was Andrew Marino. And for people who may have heard of him, um, not a real well-known player, but maybe the thing he's best known for is he married Christy Arnett, who has uh, uh, been on poker TV and poker news as a writer and an interviewer. And uh, that is his wife. So he wins the tournament and collects uh, uh, $1.46 1. for first place. And there was actually three players. Uh, Clayton McGuire was second, Toby Lewis third, all made over $1.2 So the return of the huge tournament is, is starting to happen again. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't see it going back, Dave. You know, it's just going to... I think we're just going to pick up right where we were before the pandemic, you know, yeah. and um, uh, maybe some new players have been able to uh, save some money, do whatever other players that may have been on the cusp of, uh, you know, <laughs> of hitting the rails, uh, maybe have some time to relax, you know, and uh, get themselves centered again and save up some money. So um, we saw it down here with the uh, Seminole Hard Rock also just a little while ago, six, seven weeks ago. And, um, you know, this is uh, this, this is something that's going to continue, in my opinion, Dave. Yeah, I think it is, too. And uh, we'll see what happens with the World Series moving to the fall. Uh, the World Series starts on uh, September the 30th. And we'll be following all that, of course. But right now, to fill the void is the WSOP online event that I mentioned. And I just wanted to, to touch on a few things. One of the most interesting things I found uh, from this uh, whole tournament was uh, the uh, since it's being played online, you know, obviously the players have their names. And I think some of the names that the players uh, use uh, have been pretty f funny and uh, you know, in, in, informative really about their personalities a little bit. Uh, Kathy Liebert has been playing very well. Uh, she recently followed us on uh, Twitter, uh, our, our tweets on Twitter. So uh, that was interesting to me and a lot of big name players doing very well. Uh, winning the, uh, the, one of the, the monster stack, which was one of the first big events was Manny Galoser. And, uh, just a couple of names I just wanted to pass along uh, was uh, Ryan DePaulo, who uh, 
he was the guy who won the uh, uh, the online tournament from the parking lot at uh, Whole Foods, I think it was, up in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, in New York. Or came into New Jersey or something, right? Right. Joey is a mush. That's his uh, name online. Uh, Nick Schulman uh, bubbled this tournament, but his, uh, his online name is Cash Us Clay. Cassius Clay, <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. And then, of course, you got uh, a bunch of other guys. Uh, Andrew Lichtenberger doesn't play as Lucky Chewy, plays as Watch Guy 42. Uh, Kathy Liebert's name is Lucky Gal. And, uh, you know, you learn a little bit about some of these people with uh, some of these tournaments. But uh, that was a win for Manning Loser in that one. Uh, Jeremiah Williams won the uh, $1,000 buy-in 8 max event. Uh Matt Stout played very well in that tournament. He ended up finishing, I guess, in sixth place, was it? Uh, no, fourth place, winning 41000 But Jeremiah Williams was a winner, one hundred thirty-six grand. And uh, the whole, uh, basically the whole scene online has really kind of uh, brought people out, and I thought it's, it's, it's done pretty well. Yeah, well, listen, like we said before, <laughs> I think people are just jonesing to get out there and do all of this, so... Uh... I think we'll be talking about a lot of these tournaments getting bigger and bigger and, you know, uh, as, as we keep going on uh, <laughs> in the very near future on our show. Right. Some of the players just use another uh, another player's name. There's one guy who uses his nickname is Phil Ivey uh, online, which probably scares the hell out of some people. Uh, <laughs> you got uh, Scott Davies, who plays as Miami Kane. And uh, Jamie Kerstetter uses Dan Bilzerian as her uh, as her screen name. So, <laughs> That's amazing. Anyway, I'm having fun. Well, they can have fun with that. That's one of the great things. No question. Uh, anyway, that goes on. 33 tournaments in this schedule. And uh, they'll be playing, uh, let's see, until... November, right? November no, something? Well, November is the, is the main, is the live event. Uh, anyway... Uh, I don't. I don't have the complete. Well, here it is. August first. It's through August first. Event thirty-three is the final event. There. There's still a high roller for thirty-two hundred dollar buy-in, but most of these are in the range of four hundred to six hundred dollars. So pretty affordable uh, when people play on uh, WSOP.com and commingled pools there with the different groups. Yep, it's going to be fun. It's going to be definitely fun, and hopefully that'll help online poker go to a lot of different states so and commingle those pools like you said so it, it, it'll happen sooner than later dave one other thing i wanted to mention uh and we'll get i guess we'll have to get to that other situation uh, next week but uh uh there's a story coming out of germany that uh, there's uh, been harsh restrictions put on a lot of the players over there so a lot of players have moved out of germany to other uh, EU, uh, you know, locations. Uh, here's some of the things that have happened there. They have created a tax, 5.3% turnover tax. So this is in addition to the regulations that they put in place last fall when they wouldn't allow German citizens to play more than four tables, deposit more than 1,000 euros per month on a site, or select their own seats at cash game tables. So uh, players are just fed up and have, have gone elsewhere. Well, <laughs> there's the government getting involved again. So. Yeah, as a result, poker stars raising their rake. They've eliminated a lot of the high-stakes offerings from German players. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's basically 
you know, they're cutting their own throat basically with these decisions, I think. Yeah, well, listen, uh, once the government gets involved in these things, for the most part, it's, uh, it's never a good thing for the players. So Yeah, yeah. they said in uh, uh, no limit in pot limit games with blinds of $1, $2, and also limit games with three and six, uh, the rake has been increased to 35%. Oh, my God. Oof, that'll kill the game quickly. So I, I guess part of it is whether where you're from, too, because they said if there's a split pot between a German and a non-German player, the German player will pay more in rake than the other player to compensate for the government's new tax. Yeah, yeah. That They're hoping that their players will start talking to their politicians and see if they can change that. So Yeah, exactly. Let's see what happens. Okay, uh, that's going to about do it for the show. No, fur, no Furlong, uh, the champion of the WSOP in 1999, passed away this week. And we've lost some, uh, some star players over the years. But uh, the game continues to grow. New people are getting involved in the game. Uh, do you think, uh, you know, with the increase of live play now, it's obviously hurt the online business a little bit, but there's a place for everybody, I do believe. Well, listen, we know what the numbers were before, you know, the DOJ shut everything down here and affected everything worldwide because of the large, you know, market share that the U.S. players had. And, you know, rooms were running big time back then, you know. If they can get it back, you know, there's a way for you to make that work, you know, with satellites, with a lot of different things, you know. You get that fever, you can't go to Vegas, can't go to your local poker room, the distance you want to play online and you know yeah, we discussed sure. that many years ago so yeah yeah it's still a game that still has plenty of room for growth and uh we'll look forward to talking about it again next week another edition of poker action line uh don't forget you can always get us uh wherever you get your podcasts and uh we hope you will join us every week uh big tournaments this summer uh the seminal hard rock poker open coming in july and we'll be talking about that in the next couple of weeks so uh a lot of stuff happening having fun working at a room uh just like joe has done for his entire career so uh there's a lot of interesting things and uh it's always something new is it not joe i guarantee you're gonna have something to mention about your job almost every single week going forward dave on the show absolutely well thanks for being with us we'll uh, hope to catch you next week on another edition and we'll be back to bring you poker action line here from south florida The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 